Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. Amen. We invite you to be seated this morning, and if you brought your copy of the Scriptures, you can be turning to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. <coughs> Ephesians chapter 4. Um, Kevin and Kelly are out of town. They are gallivanting around New York City somewhere, uh, having a good time, so they will be back with us next week, and uh, so you get stuck with me this morning. Is that okay with you guys? Good, all right. Good. I'm, I'm glad y'all answered that way because I was going to feel real bad if, it, if I heard anything else. Uh, so I got a question for you this morning. How many of you anticipate being around people at Christmas who are maybe boisterous or speak carelessly or cause problems with their words, otherwise known as family? <laughs> you ready? Yeah? You got some of those? Okay. So around here we call them EGRs, extra grace required peoples. Um, and man, if there is not a, a time of the year, these major holidays like Thanksgiving and Christmas, man, they, they illustrate the need for grace amongst family, don't they? Because we, you know, we're around them, we know them, maybe we were, uh, as younger folks or even kids, we're around them a lot, and then we grew up and had separate lives, and uh, you know, it just, it creates an opportunity for um, problem, is that a good word? Uh, because if we don't really watch what we say, then it's real easy to, be, uh, to, to really mess up an entirely good holiday like Christmas or Thanksgiving just from one careless word or one careless speech. Well, this morning, I'm issuing to you the Christmas challenge to keep the peace at Christmas. And we're going to look at what Scripture has to say about keeping the peace as far as our tongues are concerned. So uh, let me direct your attention to the video screens. I've got a short clip for you, and then we'll get into Scripture this morning. Let's take a look at scripture this morning, starting in Ephesians chapter 4, 
verse 22. I'm going to read from my NIV. I like the way it reads this morning, so that's where I'm going to be. Uh, Ephesians 4, verse 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to be put on, and to put on excuse me, the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. 25, therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Do not let your anger, or excuse me, in your anger do not sin, and do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. 28, he who has been stealing, let him steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. And this is where we're going to really hone in this morning in verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful in building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. We might very well have just read the most difficult command in all of Scripture, to only say what is beneficial, or by implication, to not say anything at all. Uh, This morning as we look at this Christmas challenge, what I want to do is really just give you four ways uh, that you, this this Christmas season, can keep the peace through watching uh, what we say, how we interact with folks. Hope you have a teaching outline. Forgot to mention that earlier, but we do have those if you would like one. So let's look at number one here. Uh, Four ways this morning that we can keep the peace at Christmas time. Number one, commit to honor God with every word, thought, and deed. Commit to honor God with every word, thought, and deed. Notice what Paul says to the, to the church at Ephesus in verse 22. You were, regard, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. In other words, before you came to Christ, you were one way. When you came to Christ, you've been, you've been being taught. And Paul is, is telling them, look, I've been teaching you to put that stuff aside. Uh, to, to commit to God everything. In fact, the, uh, the, the, the teaching in Scripture um, of the importance of only worshiping one true God is probably the most central teaching in all of the Bible. It started way back with Moses uh, and the Ten Commandments. Six of the Ten Commandments had to do with loving God exclusively above everything else. They said things like, uh, uh, do not take the Lord's name in vain. Or, uh, you know, things like that. And the other four had to do with some earthly relationships, like honor your father and mother. But uh, we, we must, uh, there, there can be no dissection of life apart from, apart from Christ. In other words, what I mean by that is, okay, I've got my church face on while I'm at church, but then when I go to work, I'm a different guy, or I'm a different girl. Or, or when I'm at home, my family sees a different me than the one that most of the rest of the public sees. There, there shouldn't be a, a, a compartmentalization, church, of life apart from Christ. Why? Because Christ is our life. And we should commit to honor God with every word, thought, and deed. Um, there's a guy playing in the NFL right now. His name's Tim Tebow. Uh, kind of got a different name, but man, just a superb athlete. Graduated a couple of years ago from the University of Florida. Um, is a missionary's kid. His parents were missionaries in Peru, I believe, if I remember his story correctly. Um, and he grew up and he came back to the States and played football. Did just a phenomenal athlete. Was drafted a couple of years ago by Denver Broncos to uh, take over as their starting quarterback eventually. Got his chance this year. He, he had been behind a couple of guys and got his chance this year. 
And, and Tebow is a very um, outspoken about his faith. He, he really is. Uh, he doesn't browbeat people with it, uh, but he's very quick to thank God for success. And, and not in this kind of a showy, I'm a professional athlete and I think I should try and put some Jesus in my life type of way. Uh, but he's really kind of put a target on his back because he's genuine. Um, and it's crazy. The media, they don't really like him. And other people, they don't really like him either. And so, um, in fact, one of uh, the Broncos' former quarterbacks, a guy named Jake Plummer, last week or maybe the week before was doing an interview. And, and the interviewer asked him about Tim Tebow. So what do you think about this guy? And he said this. He said, I think, and this is part of the interview. This is an excerpt. Uh, so this was not the focus of the interview, but a piece um, he says, I think that when he accepts the fact that we know that he loves Jesus Christ, then I think I'll like him better. I don't hate him because of that. I just would rather not have to hear that every single time he takes a good snap or makes a good handoff. Okay, I guess he's entitled to his opinion. About four days later, Tebow was doing his own interview. I don't know if it was the same guy or not, but that interview asked him, what do you think about Plummer's comments? Trying to trap, obviously, but Tebow said this in response. Listen to this. This is so good. If you're a husband, is it good enough only to say that you love your wife on the day you get married? Or should you tell her every single day when you wake up and every single time you have an opportunity? That's a rhetorical question, guys, if you don't know how to answer that. <laughs> let's just say, Pastor Kevin is available for marriage counseling. So he goes on to say, anytime I have the opportunity to tell him that I love him, I'm going to take that opportunity. So I look at that as a relationship that I have with him, that I want to give him honor and glory anytime I have the opportunity. And then right after I give him honor and glory, I want to try and give my teammates honor and glory. That's how it works because Christ comes first in my life. I can see the interviewer just sitting across the table from him, <laughs> probably not knowing what to ask next, right? How do you come back with that? So how are you guys going to do this weekend? You know, how do you do that? You don't. See, church... I believe far too often there's a, there's a compartmentalization in the life of many in the church where they say, okay, Christ, you, Jesus, you have this part of my life. You have my 10% of my tithe. What about the rest of your checkbook? You have this time, this hour or two or three that you worship and serve on Sunday. What about Monday when you go to work? There, there's no better place to worship than at work. And you worship by how, um, how we interact with others, too. Well, in Matthew, there's a story about this young man who comes to Jesus and asks him, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus, um, or, no, I'm sorry, I'm getting my stories confused. There's a, there's a story where the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus in Matthew chapter 22, uh, and they send this lawyer, this expert in the law to him, and they say, which is the most important commandment? And the, the hope is that he will say one of the ten that they know, and then they will have him trapped because they will be able to say, no, they're all important. And Jesus uh, knowing their intention and being fully God, he, he gives the most perfect response. Listen to this in Matthew chapter 22. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the greatest commandment. Don't you love it when somebody's asked a question like that, that there's you know, a wrong answer and a very right answer, and they give the most complete answer they could? The Pharisees could say nothing to him because he gave the right answer. Because you know what? It is the greatest commandment for us to love God with everything that we have and for us to commit to honor him with every word, thought, and deed is one of the four ways that we can keep the peace this Christmas. Number two, 
Speak only what is true, wrapped in grace. Speak only what is true, wrapped in grace. As I observe society, I, when it comes to truth, there's really two camps. There's what I call the relative camp, like truth is all relative and what's true for you may not be for me. And, uh, you know, it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But, man, there are people, in fact, we probably all have subscribed to that at least a little bit at some point in life. Um, and then, um, so that's one of the camps, the relative camp. Truth is relative. There is no such thing. It's kind of all gray or what's true for you may not be for me. The other camp is what I call the super truthism camp. Now, that's not a real word, I know. But uh, this is the people that say, I'm going to speak the truth and you're going to like it no matter what. You've been around folks like that? Yeah, not very fun to be around, right? Uh, because really, in, the, in perspective, um, neither of those two things are right. Relativism is not correct, but neither is this hyper-truthism where we just say whatever and we just kind of expect people to swallow it, whether we said it gracefully or not. In fact, in Scripture, the only time Jesus ever spoke directly with people, in other words, spoke to them minus grace, there was one group of people he did that to. You know who it was? It was the Pharisees. You know why he did that to them? Because they said they knew the law already. And they knew, they, they claimed they had a relationship with God, yet their actions said something very different. So the second way uh, that we can keep the peace this Christmas is to speak only what is true, but wrapped in grace. Uh, Winston Churchill, the, the great leader of uh, the United Kingdom, uh, said one time, men occasionally stumble over the truth, but most of them pick themselves up and hurry, up as if, uh, hurry off as if nothing happened. Uh, and that's really, that's what you can see in society. If, if somebody stumbles upon truth, there's this, I don't know if I want to go there. I mean, there's just, a, there's a catch. There's something in our society. And, and we should be committed to speaking the truth. We should be committed to speaking the truth. Last night, um, I was laying around on the couch, and Avery, my youngest, she crawled up on my stomach. And she's never been a real big cuddler, but um, she crawled up, and she laid down on my belly for a little bit. And uh, she's loving on me, and I just sat there and did nothing because I loved it. Um, and she was there for about a minute and a half, and then she's gone. Um, big sister comes around, Aubrey, who's five, a little bit jealous because of the attention that um, Aubrey or that Avery and Dad were having, and she crawls up in my lap. Now, a quick story on Aubrey: when she was young, she would fall. I mean, she would nap with me. She would lay right down the center of my chest and just fall asleep, and we'd take naps together. Avery never would do that. Uh, have you ever wished for something that you had in one kid with the rest of them? Uh, that's kind of the way I, I feel about that, because I love that. I loved spending that time with Aubrey. And so, I, like I said, I think a little bit of jealousy crept in last night, and she climbed up in my lap, and uh, she laid down on her chest. And, and I told her, I said, you know, you used to do this all the time. You used to lay down on my chest and take naps, and we'd sleep all Sunday afternoon together. And uh, now you don't do that hardly at all. And... Uh, she looked at me just with a smile and just with her innocent self. She said, but Daddy, I still love to do that. Uh, I still love to do that because of your big soft belly. <laughs> and somehow that wasn't the answer I was expecting or hoping for. Uh, see, that was true, probably. Um, I'm not going to admit to anything, but that was probably mostly true. But was it wrapped in grace? Eh, maybe not. But it came from the mouth of a five-year-old. When's the last time you heard a grown man or a grown woman speak like a five-year-old? See, it probably wasn't that long ago. 
Because we don't, we're not very good. Sometimes we're good at speaking the truth, but a lot of times we're not very good about speaking the tu- truth wrapped in grace. Here's a good rule for tr- truth speaking as far as this wrapped in grace goes, okay? Um, and it alluded to it in the video. The very last scene was a guy with a piece of tape over his mouth that said, you go first, right? Well, that's nice and cute, but really that's a good way, place to start. If you and I, the church, the, the kingdom of God, those who represent God on this earth, will commit to only speak what is true wrapped in grace, maybe even to the point of being vulnerable Not being a doormat, but being vulnerable where people can see that we have real struggles and real hurts and real heartache. And we not only have dealt with things, but we're dealing with things and we will deal with things. And through it all, we have faith that Christ is enough. You know what? The truth that you speak has a lot more impact when that happens. It lets, in fact, it sets the foundation for truth speaking. The Bible says very clearly, let your yes be yes, let your no be no. We need to speak the truth, but it needs to be wrapped in grace also. I didn't read uh, the the verses from Matthew that we looked at earlier. I didn't read uh, verse 39 from Matthew chapter 22 for a reason, because I wanted to really put these things together. Um, We read the verses about love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. First and greatest commandment. You know, in that scenario when Jesus was teaching when he was refuting these Pharisees who were trying to trick him, he didn't just give them one greatest commandment. He gave them two, and he said they're of equal importance. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. This is the greatest commandment. And the second is just like it. He says this in Matthew 22, verse 39. The second is just like it. In other words, it's of equal importance. You know what it was? He said, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I don't know about you, but I've experienced a few folks in my lifetime that they, would, they were good at speaking truth, or they were right, maybe, but they weren't very graceful about it. And you know, the truth is a whole lot harder to swallow when you've got somebody looking at you, and they're pointing a finger, or they're looking down their nose at you saying, I'm right, and you're going to like it. Is Christ the only way for us to be right with God? You bet. Is Christmas a joyous time of celebration? Because of the coming of the Messiah. You bet. Are there people that are ready to hear that? Some, but not all. So we need to speak the truth wrapped in grace. Number three, we need to forgive quickly. Forgive quickly. Notice what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4. This was the scripture that we started out in. Starting in verse 26. In your anger, do not sin Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing, let him steal no longer. I'm not going to read that. We're just going to stop at 27. But I like what Paul says there, in your anger, do not sin. Now, I'm not sure that I'm really good at that, okay? Um, Typically, when we get angry, there's a a reaction, a physical reaction. Maybe it's uh, inside, you feel yourself flush, your face turn hot. Uh, maybe it's a, a physical reaction where you stand up and get rigid, uh, like a defensive position, like somebody is coming after you, right? Uh, you probably observed this. Um, and, and, you know, there's probably a lot of family get-togethers over the years that have been soured by words that reveal unforgiveness. 
They reveal uh, you know, a circumstance that happened 20 years ago or 25 years ago or maybe last Christmas. And, and there's been a pledge in that time period that I'm forgiven you and I've forgotten about that. But sometimes we let those things creep back and you know, we say things that real, uh, reveal that we really haven't forgiven at all, much less quickly. Uh, I heard somebody say this week that forgiveness is like burlap pajamas. They're uncomfortable, and they would only be useful if extremely necessary. And I, I think that's the way a lot of people approach forgiveness. It's just kind of, uh, if I have to, I'll forgive them. But really, is that how Christ forgave us? Did he, did he go to the cross and say, uh, at one point he said, Father, if, if, if there's any other way, but then what did he follow that up with? But not your, my will, but your will be done because there was no other way. Yet we approach forgiveness a lot of times like it's something that is totally, totally foreign to us. Typically, again, as I observe culture, there's two types, there's two camps when they talk about forgiveness. You've got the people that don't think they need to be forgiven. I haven't done anything. Well, those people are the same ones that are the, uh, I'm going to speak the truth and you're going to like it type folks, right? Generally. Um, Maybe not all the time, but generally. There's this, there's this camp over here that says, I don't need to be forgiven. I haven't done anything, or I'm just human. Okay, I mess up. Um, you're going to have to get over that. Um, it, there's just this attitude, this arrogance that I really haven't done anything that you shouldn't already be used to. And essentially what that person does is they place the blame back on you or me, right? Probably encountered folks like this. There's the other group. There's another group of folks that say, I can't be forgiven. In other words, I've done something that is so uh, treacherous, that is so terrible, that there is no way that you can forgive me, and there's certainly no way that God can forgive me. As if God doesn't already know the offense. Can I just say to you that neither of those two camps are right either? See, we all need to be forgiven at times, and we all need to give forgiveness. And the best news is, we all can be forgiven through the work of Christ, and it began with the birth of the Messiah at Christmas. Let me see where I am in my notes here. Uh, you know, I, like I said, I, I don't think forgiveness is something that a lot of us do. It's not natural. It's just not. Um, but I, I'm going to give you a challenge this morning when it comes to forgiveness or forgiving quickly. Um, if forgiveness is a major hurdle for you, uh, I've got an exercise for you. You ready? Uh, you may have to take some notes that are not, you know, filled out for you there, but if you want to flip your thing over on the back, you can do that. Here's a little exercise if forgiveness is a tough thing for you. This is something I've had to do in the past, uh, so I'm not giving this to you as a I'm true or I'm right and you need to like it type thing, but this does work, okay? Take a piece of paper and write down the offense. If someone has offended you, if they have grieved you, take a piece of paper and write it down. Everything. Be as detailed as you want to be about it, Okay? got that piece of paper and put it down on the desk and take a copy of the scriptures and open it up and look at the story of what Jesus went through on the cross. In fact, go back and write your own narrative version of it. Go back and write down what Christ did when he was nailed to the cross, when he said, it is finished. What does that mean? Explore that. Now, you got your two pieces of paper. And what I want you to do is read one, read the first one, and then read the second one. And then read the first one again, and then read the second one. And do it as many times as possible 
for, for you to allow God to take that, to, to take what he did, what he illustrated for us in Scripture, and really get it down in your heart so that forgiveness doesn't become such a major hurdle. See, you know, when we compare the offenses that we have done to each other and the ones that have been done to us compared to the greatness of the sin, all of it, past, present, and future that Jesus Christ took care of on the cross, one little significant, one little what we think is a significant event of unforgiveness, guess what? It just doesn't measure up to the greatness of the cross. It doesn't. It doesn't. But far too often we let forgiveness be something that we're not very good at. How do you know if you've forgiven someone? Good question to ask. Say, Andy, I'm having real hard trouble with this. This guy, uh, you don't know what he did, justification, that kind of thing, uh, or, or this person. Uh, how do you know if you've forgiven someone? Here's the best question I could come up with to know if you have forgiven someone. Ask yourself this question. Does that circumstance, when you think about it, does it have power over you still? Is there an emotional reaction, a physical reaction? Does it consume your thoughts mentally? If it has any of that kind of power over you, then there might be an indication that forgiveness has not been fully granted from you to them. I'll give you an example. When I was uh, in junior high and high school, um, I had a couple of guys in my life uh, named Mike and Sam, and that's not their real names, but uh, that's for what we're doing this morning that works. And uh, Mike uh, went to church with me. Uh, Sam uh, was my neighbor and went to school with me. And this is, you know, I, I got along with everybody. But if I were to put a name on two bullies in my life, it would be those two guys, Mike and Sam. Um, and I remember a, a couple of instances where, um, uh, well, you know, just kind of some of those things that happened through junior high and high school and when, uh, when we're all really impressionable anyways and some encounters with these two guys. And, and Sam it continued up through high school until I got to be about the same size as he did, and then all of a sudden he wasn't interested in bullying me anymore, um, even though I wasn't really, I wasn't going to do anything. But I, you know, for the longest time, um, those guys had really power in my life because of unforgiveness, really, is what happened. And without going into a lot of details, mainly for time reasons this morning, um, at some point... Uh, when I was teaching on forgiveness, I remember just breaking down in the middle of it and God speaking to my heart. The students were looking at me like, what is going on with you, dude? You're not supposed to cry at a youth service, right? Uh, and, and I just remember th- God impressing on my heart, man, you're teaching this. But there's an instance, there's two guys that you may not ever see again, but you need to forgive them. You need to forgive them. You need to let it go. And you know how I knew they still had power over me? Because when somebody would mention their name, I'd get angry. I would, start to, I would go back and remember those things that they did. And they didn't, they didn't hurt me. They were just there. They were just bullies. They just said things. But I had to forgive them. I had to let it go. How sad it would it have been for me to stand here before you, a 32-year-old man, and say... I'm still holding a grudge from somebody from the sixth grade. Seems kind of silly, doesn't it? But oftentimes that's what, we, that's what we do. You don't know what they did to me, Andy. You're right, I don't. I only know what Christ did on the cross. We need to forgive quickly. But lastly, 
And verse 29 is where we're going to finish up this morning. We need to speak only what is uplifting. Speak only what is uplifting. That is to say, what is encouraging, what builds each other up, as opposed to the opposite of that, which is what? What tears each other down, or what may not even have an effect on anybody at all. Um, notice the intentional language that Paul uses in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Do not let it, follower of Christ, do not let, do not grant the words permission to come out of your mouth unless they build those up. Not only the person you're speaking to, but the implication here is that anyone who can hear for building each other up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who, what? Listen. Speak only what is uplifting and encouraging. A lot of times we rationalize careless speech. We say things like, well, I didn't mention his or her name, or um, it's true. That's a rationalization. We kind of talked about that one already, speaking the truth minus grace, uh, but it's better to do it wrapped in grace. Or we will say something that we believe is true about a person to make a point, but just to soften the awkwardness, we'll go, oh, just kidding. But we were really trying to make a serious point. That's a rationalization. Uh, we, we say things or we think uh, thoughts like, well, everybody knows about it anyways, or this person does this all the time. When we speak to people, when we speak about people, are we saying what is only beneficial to them? Do not let any unwholesome talk, I love that word, unwholesome talk, come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful in building each other up. Man, as we're around family and friends at Christmas, if we just committed to do this one thing, it would probably revolutionize the way we experience Christmas. If we commit to only say what is uplifting. Is it tough? Boy, yeah, it's real tough. But is it necessary? It's, yeah, it's, it's even more necessary. We need to stay away from things like coarse humor, humiliating folks through joking or I'm just kidding type statements. Browbeating, exasperation, where, where again, there's that talking down to people um, older siblings, I'm an older sibling, in fact, I'm the oldest, we, we tend to be real good at that because, you know, growing up, we were always right anyways, right? What's to say anything's different now that we're all adults? Well, that wasn't always the case. Scripture has a lot to say. In fact, if you go back and look at Proverbs chapter 10 and Proverbs chapter 11, Scripture says a lot about really watching what you say and making it beneficial to those who listen. Write these out beside your notes here just so you can go back and look at these another time. Proverbs 10 verse 11 says this, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. I love the, the illustration or the imagery there. But violence overwhelms the mouth of the wicked. Proverbs 10 21 says this, the lips of the righteous nourish many, but the fools die from lack of judgment. Proverbs 11 verse 12 says this, a man who lacks judgment derides his neighbor, but a man of understanding holds his tongue. You may be right in that scenario at Christmas, but it may be best to just say nothing. It may. I'm not going to be there. I got my own Christmas plans. But it may, be, it may be best to say nothing. So there's four ways this morning, the Christmas challenge to keep the peace. 
Man, I don't know that this is an you know, exhaustive list. There's probably some other things we could put on it. But you know what? If we would take these four things and say, God, I really just want to honor you this Christmas. I want, I want to get with you. I want to honor my family. I want to honor my friends. But most of all, I want to honor you, God. And really just focus on these things. Say, God, help us. Help me personally. You know what? We wouldn't have any problem keeping the peace at Christmas. Let's pray together.